This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 22, it says, The blessing of the Lord, it maketh rich, and he adds no sorrow to it. The blessing of the Lord makes rich, and adds no, he adds no sorrow to it. Now, I know rich is kind of a tough term nowadays because there's a lot of backlash against the rich. You've got this 99% junk that's going on in society, the 99% versus the 1%. And the, in, the intended purpose of this is to paint the rich as evil. Well, folks, that's the work of the devil. The devil doesn't want you to think that rich can be good. Because if he can get you thinking that the rich can be good in some way or the rich can be God's plan in some way, then you have resources to use against him and his purpose. And the devil is operating. He's the author of the spirit of this world. And don't you for one minute think that this country isn't being governed by the spirit of this world. We call ourselves a Christian nation. That's a laugh. A Christian nation governed by the spirit of this world? Right. Unfortunately, that's the way it is. It's not the way it's supposed to be. So I'll say again what the Lord has instructed me to tell you about this, or instructed me as far as my purpose in this, and that is He told me to teach on finances so that people would renew their mind to wealth. Now, folks, you don't have to believe that. I'm telling you that's what God told me, and you don't have to believe that. You judge that for yourself. You can think for right off the bat, God doesn't want people to be wealthy. Okay, I don't care. But what are you going to do about scriptures like we just read? The blessing of the Lord makes rich. And he adds no sorrow to it. What are you going to say? I don't want to be blessed? Really? Good luck with that. I would suggest that's not a real tenable position to take. So it says, the blessing of the Lord makes rich and he adds no sorrow to it. Genesis chapter 12, verse 2, God said to Abraham, if you'll obey me, I will bless thee. Chapter 13, verse 2 says, And Abram was very rich in silver and cattle and gold. So Abraham is proof that the blessing of the Lord does make rich. And he adds no sorrow to it. Turn with me over to Deuteronomy. If you want to look with us, turn with me over to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Here's Moses telling the children of Israel what they can expect in the promised land. No doubt that the promised land was the will of God. No doubt that the promised land is a type of what belongs to us as believers. Now, some people will tell you, and the devil will be right there on your shoulder to whisper in your ear, well, that stuff that belongs to the Jews, that doesn't belong to you. Well, the stuff that he tells you belongs to the Jews never belonged to the Jews. The Bible says it belongs to the seed of Abraham. Not seeds, plural. Not natural descendants, as in many, but the seed singular of Abraham. That's Galatians 3.16. He said that to, the, to Abraham to his seed, This will be given. This blessing is to you and to your seed. The Bible says that the seed of Abraham is Christ, not the Jews, but Christ. That's why Galatians 3.29 says, and if you be Christ, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So all the stuff that the devil has told us for years just belongs to the Jews. All the stuff that the Jews have used to gain the wealth of the world. It didn't belong to them as natural descendants of Abraham. It belonged to the seed of Abraham, which is Christ, which means it belongs to the church. So the promised land is a type of what we can expect in the church age. It's a type. It's not a a natural thing. For example, the land of Canaan isn't ours, but the land of Canaan uh, uh, represents 
the wealth of the world. The world and the wealth thereof. So in Deuteronomy chapter 8, we'll start reading in verse 6. It says, Therefore thou shalt keep the commandments of the Lord thy God to walk in his ways and to fear him. For the Lord thy God bringeth thee into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and depths that spring out of valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley and vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land wherein thou shalt eat bread without scarceness. I don't know about to you, but that says to me, I never get down to my last loaf. A land wherein thou shalt eat bread without scarceness, thou shalt not lack anything in it. That means I don't get down to my last anything. Certainly not down to my last dollar. Now, of course, that just assumes that Moses knew what he was talking about. You know, he talked face-to-face with God, but hey, you know, what did he know? A land wherein thou shalt eat bread without scarceness, and thou shalt not lack anything in it, a land whose stones are iron, and out of whose hills thou mayest dig brass. When thou hast eaten and art full, that must be okay with God. That must be okay with God. When thou hast eaten and art full. Then thou shalt bless the Lord thy God for the good land which he has given thee. Now, eating and art full, uh, you would understand as a figurative term. He's not talking about just when you sit down to eat. Make sure you get so stuffed you can't hardly push back. <laughs> no, eating and art full means when you have enough of everything in life. He's not talking about just the food you eat. He's talking about experiencing everything that's good in, in life. It's good to pay your bills, folks. It's good to be able to take your kids and your family on vacation. Jesus did that. Jesus told his disciples to come apart for a while and rest. Jesus was into vacations. Jesus moved to Capernaum, which was the seaside resort town. (laughs) Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God, and not keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes, which I command thee this day, lest, here's the warning, lest when thou hast eaten and art full, and hast built goodly houses and dwell therein. Now, none of those things are wrong. He's just saying, don't forget God when you've eaten and are full. Don't forget God when you've built goodly houses. So he's okay with good houses. Otherwise, the warning would be, and don't you dare build a good house. That's not what he says. He says, don't forget God when you build a good house. Don't let the good house turn you away from God or forget him and dwell therein. Don't forget God when your herds and your flocks multiply and thy silver and thy gold is multiplied. God doesn't have a problem with any of this stuff, folks. He didn't have a problem with you having a lot. A lot of flocks, a lot of herds, a lot of silver, a lot of gold, whatever that is with your business, whatever the, the field of your business is. He doesn't have a problem with you having a lot of it. Or the money that you receive as a result of the work. Not a bit. That's not the warning. The warning is, don't forget God. The warning, don't let your heart, verse 14, be lifted up. And thou forget the Lord thy God, which brought thee forth out of the land of bondage or land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Skip down with me in verse 18. But thou shalt remember. And again, this is a choice. Instead of forgetting God when all these good things happen, remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee the power to get wealth. Now, folks, this is the blessing of Abraham, not the blessing of the Jews. This is the blessing of Abraham that was intended for Abraham and his seed, which is Christ. And if you're Christ, then you're Abraham's seed. 
So I want you to understand that Moses, if he knows what he's talking about, I mean, you know, he's just the lawgiver, just the prophet, the foremost prophet of the Old Testament. If Moses knew what he was talking about, he's saying to Abraham and his seed is given the power to get wealth. Everybody say wealth. What is wealth? Well, it must be the good houses. Must be the land where you eat without scarceness and that you don't do without any good thing in it. It must be the land that provides for you. It must be the flocks and the herds multiplying. It must be the silver and the gold multiplying. That must be what God calls wealth because that's the context that he says it. But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth. You want to know what the power to get wealth is? How many of you want to know what the power to get wealth is? Well, that's not enough of you. Do you want to know what the power to get wealth is? I'm not going to tell you. That's several weeks down the road. I'm serious. I'm not going to tell you till you are itching to find out what this is. And folks, I've got to tell you, I've just seen it myself over the last couple of months. I've been walking with God in ministry for almost 30 years. And I've just seen it myself over the last couple of months. Wasn't some earth-shattering thing? It was like, well, duh, of course. But I see it in a new light now. Thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth. And here's the reason. Here's the reason why he gives you the power to get wealth. That he may establish his covenant, which he swear unto thy fathers, that means Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, as it is this day. In other words, he's saying, That covenant promise is just as real in the day that Moses says it as it was when God told it to Abraham and then made him very rich in silver and cattle and gold. And since it was to the seed of Abraham, which is Christ, that means the promise is just as real today for you because you're Christ as it was when he said it to Abraham. Deuteronomy chapter 28. Verse 1, and it shall come to pass if thou shalt hearken diligently to the voice of the Lord thy God to observe and to do all his commandments which shall command thee this day, that the Lord thy God will set thee on high above all nations of the earth. Now, folks, this is the blessing of Abraham, not the blessing of the Jews. He's saying this to the church. I'll set the church above all the nations of the earth. Now, I don't know about you, but it looks to me like all the nations of the earth are having financial troubles. The church doesn't have to. Church meaning the church at large, church meaning you as an individual member of the body of Christ. Now, don't get me wrong, you can if you want to. You can have as much money trouble as you want. You can fall right in with the rest of the world, but you don't have to. That's what the Bible's saying. All these blessings, verse 2, and all these blessings shall come on thee and overtake thee, if thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God. He did not say some of these blessings, he said all of them. Blessed shalt thou be in the city, and blessed shalt thou be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of your body, and the fruit of your ground, and the fruit of your cattle, and the increase of your kind, and the flocks of your sheep. He's talking about your flocks and your herds multiplying. Blessed shall be your basket and your store. Blessed shalt thou be when thou comest in, and blessed shalt thou be when thou goest out. Do you realize you can't hardly find any place that you can't be blessed? All the reasons why you can't be blessed that you've got figured out in your mind don't fit because God said you'd be blessed coming in, going out, city store, uh, city field, basket store, etc. In other words, you can't explain. Where can you go that you can't find God and his blessing? David said, if I go to the mountaintop, he's there. If I go to the, the lowest pit of the earth, he's there too. Where can you go and not find the blessing of God? 
Join Mike Webb and Foothill Family Church every Sunday night at 6 p.m. for our weekly healing school. Healing school is for those who are in need of being healed from sickness in their body, as well as those who want to strengthen their faith in the area of healing. He said to pray that the will of God would be done on the earth as it is in heaven. Now we're talking about healing, so let's ask the question, what's the will of God concerning healing in heaven? Is there any sickness in heaven? Then Jesus is saying that they, the disciples, should pray that the will of God in every area, including healing and sickness, should be done here on the earth just like it is in heaven. That would mean, therefore, for the people of God that they be free from sickness because that's exactly the way it's going to be when we get to heaven. Foothill Family Church is in Orange County at the corner of Bake Parkway and Lake Forest Drive, just minutes off the 5 Freeway. To learn more about how you and your family can connect with Foothill Family Church, simply log on to MikeWeb.tv. Why do we believe the lie where the devil says you can't be blessed, you can't have the things the Bible says you can have? Why do we believe the lie? Where can you go and escape God? His blessing is wherever he is. The Lord shall cause thine enemies, verse 7, that smite, rise up against thee to be smitten before thy face. They shall come out against thee one way and flee before thee seven ways. The Lord shall command the blessing upon thee in the storehouses. Notice he didn't say God wants this for you. He said he will command the blessing. What blessing is this? Well, if it's not the blessing of Abraham, what blessing could it be? When it says he'll command the blessing, it means the blessing of Abraham that belonged to Abraham and his seed, which is Christ. And if you're Christ, then you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. The Lord shall command the blessing upon thee in thy storehouses. God must want you to have storehouses. We've said this before, but storehouses means he'll not only take care of your needs, but storehouses takes care of tomorrow and next week and depending on how big your storehouse is, maybe for years to come. God doesn't have a problem with storehouses. Don't let anybody make you think that retirement accounts are against the will of God. God doesn't have a problem with that. God's got enough for you to have retirement accounts and do whatever you need to for the kingdom of God. The Lord shall command the blessing upon thee in thy storehouses and in all that thou settest thine hand unto for to do. And he shall bless thee in the land which the Lord thy God gives thee. The Lord shall establish thee a holy people unto himself as he has sworn unto thee. If thou shalt keep the commandments of the Lord thy God and walk in his ways, and all the people of the earth shall see that thou art called by the name of the Lord, and they shall be afraid of thee. It doesn't mean afraid like you're afraid of a snake or afraid of somebody with a gun. It means they'll have respect unto you because God's treating you differently than the rest of the world is. Verse 11, And the Lord shall make thee plenteous in goods. It does not say, Why does the church get the idea that God wants you to barely scrape by? The Bible says God's plan is to make you plenteous in goods. Plenteous means more than enough, doesn't it? And the Lord shall make thee plenteous in goods and the fruit of your body. Well, what kind of goods? Well, the fruit of your body is one thing he's talking about. It's good to have kids. I don't know about you, but the real treasure of my life is my kids, not my money. The more I see people having grandkids and great-grandkids and stuff like that, it seems to me that it's multiplied. That's where the real treasure in life is, is in other people. 
in the fruit of your body, in the fruit of your cattle, in the fruit of your ground, in the land which the Lord swear unto thy fathers to give thee. Verse 12, the Lord shall open unto thee his good treasure, the heaven, to give rain unto thy land in his season, and to bless all the work of thine hand, and thou shalt lend unto many nations, and thou shalt not borrow. Notice the Bible says God does something from heaven that produces wealth for you, so that you're not under the thumb of somebody else. Look with me over to Haggai chapter 2. Beginning in verse 7, talking about the end. And I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come. The desire of all nations has to do with the rapture. It has to do with the manifestations of the church in its redeemed body. That's what the earth is groaning and travailing until. And I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come, and I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. Notice God talks about the glory of the church in the last days. That's the context of what he's talking about. Now, the world will be shaking, but the church will be glorious. And I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. Verse 8, the silver is mine and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. Verse 9, the glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former. That's when Solomon dedicated the temple and they couldn't stand because of the presence of God. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. Whatever you think about this, God attaches silver and gold, connects silver and gold to glory. He attached, connects silver and gold in the church to its last days. Now, there's a lot of room for people to disagree on what that means and how that could be. But there is no disagreement that God connects the two. Is there? Any room for anybody to say? And and folks, please understand, unless Haggai just took a break here in the middle of prophesying on behalf of the Lord, why in the world would this be the place where God starts talking about money? It doesn't seem to fit. Unless God thinks that silver and gold has something to do with glory. Now, isn't that completely opposite with what the world thinks about silver and gold where Christians are concerned? Hasn't the church told us for years? Hasn't religion and denomination, uh, denominational teaching and training and, and ideas, tradition, hasn't it taught us for years that you can't be humble if you're rich? You can either be rich or you can be humble. Really? God seems to think the church is glorious when it has silver and gold. Folks, the foundation I want to lay with you this morning, we could have, we could have used many other scriptures, but the foundation I want to lay for you to, to speak about the subject is very simply this. Money matters to God. And all the training and teaching and religious denominational stuff that we've heard through the years saying that it doesn't is a direct contradiction to the Word of God. You'll have religious people now that say, well, God has blessed us spiritually. But he doesn't care about natural things like money. Really? Well, then you're going to have to burn the Old Testament. However, that creates a problem because Jesus talked a lot about it in the New Testament. Paul talked about a lot of it in the New Testament. James even talked about some of it. And and John talked about it too. Peter said a little bit. Actually, you can't find a writer in the New Testament that didn't talk about money too. 
Turn with me over to Mark chapter 10. Money matters to God. Let me show you how. Story of the rich young ruler. Verse 17. When he was gone, Jesus was gone forth into the way. There came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? This guy is running to get to Jesus. I love this attitude. I love this picture. He's running to get to Jesus. He's got his eyes eyes on the right thing, it seems, because he says, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, thou, why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, God, but one, that is God. In other words, Jesus said, is saying, you need to realize I'm operating on behalf of my Father. I'm not operating on behalf of me in and of myself. I'm operating on behalf of my Father. Thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and mother. And he answered unto him, Master, all these things have I observed from my youth. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him. Now, folks, we know this guy is called the rich young ruler. Notice Jesus loved him while he was rich. Do you see that? That contradicts religious tradition, denominational tradition, that says God can't really love you if you're rich. He loved the rich young ruler. So Jesus, beholding him, loved him and said unto him, One thing you lack. There's only one thing that you need to do. Why? Because he had been a keeper of the old covenant. He had been a keeper of the law. So he said, there's only one thing you need to do. Well, what's that one thing you need to do? Go and go your way, sell what you have, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. Come, take up the cross, and follow me. What's his problem? That he's rich? No, if his problem was that he was rich, Jesus wouldn't have loved him until he gave everything away. The problem is not that he's rich. The problem is he doesn't have treasure in heaven. The way you get treasure in heaven is you give. He instructs him to give to the poor. He says the only way you can have treasure in heaven is to take your money and use it for the benefit of others. And then he makes an offer to him that he only made to his disciples. He said, come take up your cross and follow me. He's offering a a place with him. He's offering him a seat with the twelve. And he, the rich young ruler, was sad at that saying and went away grieved for he had great possessions. I would submit to you that the great possessions had him. And Jesus looked round about and said unto his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? And the disciples patted one another on the back and said, Yeah, they need to be poor and broke and homeless like us. And his disciples were astonished at his words. Why? Because they knew wealth, riches and wealth, was a part of the blessing of Abraham. And the disciples were astonished at his words. You know, it's an amazing thing. The Jews had just exactly the opposite idea that the modern day church has. Modern day church, if Jesus, if the idea that, that being rich is being loved by God and is being in the will of God, the church would be astonished at that teaching or that, that idea. But the Jews are just the other way around. The idea that you had to be poor for God to love you was totally foreign to them. They said, you what? You gotta be kidding. They were astonished at his words. But Jesus answered again and said unto them, Children, how hard it is for them that trust in riches. The man's problem is not what he has, it's where his trust is. 
He's trusting in what he has. That's why he was sad when Jesus said, go and sell what you have. He hadn't realized that God is the one that brought the riches into his hands. In other words, after he's built his goodly house, he's dwelt therein, his flocks and his herds have multiplied, his silver and gold has multiplied, he's done all the things in the promised land that he was available to him, he forgot that it was God that gave him the power to get wealth. Here's an example of the warning in Deuteronomy chapter 8. So Jesus says, the guy that forgets to keep God first. It's hard for him to get into heaven. Can you see it? He's talking attitude, not possessions. Children, how hard it is for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. This is a, 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 a saying that's a little blind to some people because they don't understand how the, the city of Jerusalem was built. The city of Jerusalem was originally built with a, with a wall around the city. Then it was expanded and added to. And then there was a wall around the outer edge of the city. So there's an inner city of Jerusalem that has a wall around it and the outer city of Jerusalem that had a wall around it. The inner city of Jerusalem, which was built many, many years before the outer wall, had smaller gates. The reason for that is if you have a smaller gate, there's a smaller area that you have to defend against your enemies. One of these gates was small that was right next to that marketplace that was so small it was called the eye of the needle. And in order for a camel that was laden down with goods and possessions and stuff to go to market, in order for that camel to get through the gate, they had to, the owners had to unload it on the outside of the city, the, the inner city walls, and the camel had to go through on its knees. And then on the other side, you load it back up and take it to market. Jesus says... It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. The rich man he's talking about is the man that trusts in his riches. What's he saying? He's saying you've got to be willing to get rid of your stuff in order to come to God. He's not requiring you to get rid of your stuff. If this guy had already given to the poor, Jesus would have said, hey, join our group. But he hadn't. That was the one thing that he lacked. He lacked the right attitude toward other people and therefore the right attitude toward God. And that's what's called treasure in heaven. When you use your money for the benefit of others, that lays up treasure in heaven for you. So when he said this about the camel going, it's easier for a camel to go through the thigh of a needle for a rich man, a man that trusts in his riches, to enter into the kingdom of God, then they were astonished out of measure, saying among themselves, who then can be saved? Now, get what they're saying. They're saying if rich people can't get into heaven, who in the world is going in? Why? Because they were so schooled in the blessing of Abraham bringing wealth that they're now saying, well, if you can't have wealth, then what happens to the blessing of Abraham? Who's going to possibly get in? We know that belongs to us. Can you see their attitude? Jesus answered and said, with men it's impossible, but we're not with God, for with God all things are possible. Well, why is he talking about all things being possible with God? Because it's possible to give away everything you have and come out better. Without God, you give away all you have and you just do without. The Bible has a lot to say about money, and it's not what most people think that it says. God cares about you. He cares about you having enough. He wants you to know how good he is. I want to challenge you to dare to believe God's word about finances. Thanks for watching today. Come visit us at Foothill Family Church. 
This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. You know the reason, one of the main reasons why we won't forgive other people? Because we're afraid they won't get what's coming to them. So what does that tell us about the love that we're supposed to walk in, the forgiveness that we're supposed to walk in? It's supposed to be a total forgiveness so that we're not looking for anybody to get theirs anymore. Now that can be tough. It's one thing to say, the love of God has filled my heart. And therefore, Father, I pray for my enemies, knowing full well that you will pour out the wrath of heaven upon them. But perfect love isn't looking for somebody to get theirs. Love covers a multitude of sins. Love doesn't deny that I've been done wrong, but it just says I'm not looking for them to get theirs because of it. Join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Visit us online at mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.